Well, open your Bibles tonight, Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing our study through this book. We talking about the armor of God last week. And last week we were really talking about the need for the armor. And I told you last time that tonight we'd be looking at the armor itself. And so we pick up tonight in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. I've put, I believe, on your notes, how do you deal with the one who wants to destroy the work of God, discredit the word of God, and discourage the people of God? And that's what the enemy wants to do. Those three things are kind of his marching orders. To destroy the work of God, discredit the word of God, discourage the people of God. How do you stand against that? Well, the Bible says that the only way that we can defeat the devil is with all the armor of God. In fact, if you pick up the Bible again in chapter 6, let's just read it to refresh our memories, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Uh, folks, that, that's just one of those verses you need to know. Those, that's one of those verses that you, you mark or memorize. It's just one of those verses that are so short but so applicable to our lives. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And here's how you do that. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why you need the armor of God. Therefore, because of what he's just said, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. And the word stand there means to resist. To resist. Then he says, verse 14, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible says that the only way that we can defeat the devil is when we use all the armor of God. I want to make sure that you get this. I want to make sure that you understand what we're talking about tonight. And so I'm just going to write it up here. This is what we're talking about tonight, is the armor of God. Now, I know that's simple, but you're going to see what I'm talking about in a minute, why that is so important. What we're talking about is not you doing something better. It's not simply you just trying to be a little bit more truthful, and you trying to be a little bit more righteousness, and, and, and you, know, you trying to do something a little bit better. But we're talking about the armor of God. In fact, if you'll open your Bibles or turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I need somebody to read that for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Yeah, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. It, it has the idea they're not 
earthly. They are not fleshly. They are not from us. This is not the weapons of the flesh. This is the weapons, the armor of God. Alright? So let's look at each individual piece of the armor. He starts out, and help me going back to Ephesians. Tell me what each piece is. And, and let me give you a little bit of the background here. Apostle Paul wrote this letter when he was in prison. It's likely when he wrote this letter that he was either chained to an armed guard, or at least he continually was within the, the eyesight of an armed guard. Now, I'm not saying that this guard was continually dressed in battle gear, but it's likely as Paul was in the prison one day, and as the Spirit of God was working in his life, that Paul was looking at that guard and thinking about what he had probably seen many times, these military men, these guards, wearing their armor. And as he looked at the armor of those guards, perhaps marching outside his window or something, but as he looked at the armor of those guards, I believe the Spirit of God used that visual image to help him understand that God also provides armor for us against our enemy. And so he looks at the armor, and the armor that he lists for us is indeed something that you would see a Roman military person, uh, soldier, wear. And so he lists six different pieces of armor. What's the first one? All right, so we're just going to talk about, first of all, he lists the belt. What's the second one? Breastplate. And the third one? Shield. Shoes, I'm sorry. Shield is next. All right, um. All right, so we got shoes. Then we have shield. Then we have What was the last one? So you can see these pieces of of armor that a Roman military soldier would have. And as Paul looked at that soldier who had a belt, and he had a breastplate, and he had uh, special shoes, and we'll talk about what kind of shoes they were, and he had a shield, and he had a helmet, and he had a sword. Paul, by the Spirit of God working in his heart, in his life, Paul began to see that God also has provided us with what we need to stand against our enemies. And so Paul talks about each piece of the armor. Let's work our way through each one. He talks about, first of all, the belt of truth. Now the Romans used the belt in their military armor. And the belt that they used were, uh, it was used so that they could tuck their long robes under the belt so they, could, they wouldn't get tripped up in battle. It was also the belt that they used to hold their sword. And so Paul looked at the belt that the Roman soldier was wearing, and he says the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Truth in this verse does not mean to speak the truth. 
Truth in this verse does not mean to tell the truth. Paul is talking about in this verse God's truth. Again, I want to call your attention to this. You'll get tired of me saying it, but this is not the armor of Keith. This is the armor of God. So if it was speaking the truth or telling the truth, that would be, the onus would be on me. That would be basically the armor of Keith. I've just got to speak a little more truth. I've got to, you know, speak truthfully. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about the armor of God, not the armor of Keith. So it's not speaking the truth. It's not telling the truth. Something far more important than that. It means God's truth. Go to John chapter 1, verse 14. I'll give you an example. John chapter 1, verse 14. Who's going to read John chapter 1, verse 14? Yes. He's talking about Jesus and His incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. He's talking about God's truth. All right, let me give you another one. Um, John chapter 8, verse 32. Bible drill, go. John chapter 8, verse 32. Who's got it? Who can read it? Go ahead. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, he's not talking about telling the truth. He's talking about something that comes from God. The truth of God. All right, let me give you one more. Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 27. I'm going to read that one. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel... I say that's not the right one. That's not it. Acts four. Um, is it twenty two? Did I just? It is twenty seven. Yes, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Okay, I can't find it. We're not going to wait. I wrote down the wrong verse, apparently. Here's the question, though. Why do we need God's truth to fight against the enemy? Say it again. He's a liar. He's a liar and the father of lies. Now, now make sure you put this on your notes. Uh, Well, John 8, 44. Jesus said Satan is a liar and a deceiver. John 8, 44. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And I think there's a place on your notes for this. Satan fights with lies, and sometimes his lies sound like the truth. Have you ever experienced that? Satan's lies can sound like the truth. I mean, folks, that's why we give in. That's why, that's why we sometimes are dead ducks. That's why sometimes we mess up. Because his lies sounded like the truth. And so we've got to be sure that we have something to counter his lies. And the thing that we have to counter his lies is God's truth. So when Satan says, God doesn't love you anymore, you could say that's a lie. The truth is, the Bible says, nothing can separate me from God's love in Romans chapter 8. So when Satan says, 
you can be involved in this and it won't hurt you. Nobody's going to know you can do this and it won't hurt anybody, it won't hurt you. That's a lie. And you can say the truth is, God's word says, you reap what you sow. Satan says, don't forgive her, she doesn't deserve it. And you can say that's a lie. The truth is, Colossians 3, that we are to forgive as God forgave us. And so we always are are trying to go against the enemy, not with us saying, well, I'm going to tell the truth. That's, That's not armor. The armor is when we have truth to go back to. We have truth to turn to so that we can fight against the lies Satan is trying to tell us. So every morning or every evening, you need to put on, look up here, you need to put on the belt of truth. You need to make time for the belt of truth. Ask God to remind you of the need that you have tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, whenever you do your Bible study. The need that you have to listen to the voice of truth. All right, so that's the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. Then we have the breastplate. This one is is very interesting. I want to make sure that you're are focusing here. The Roman soldier made had a breastplate made of metal plates and chains that covered his body from the front to the back, from the neck to the waist. It was a, a, a chain type thing of armor from the neck to the waist, front and back. That was the breastplate, of, if you will. It covered the vital organs of the body, of course, the heart and so the heart and the lungs. That the, the purpose of the breastplate. Paul says God's given us a breastplate also, and he calls it the breastplate of what, church? The breastplate of what? Righteousness. Now, this is where I need you to listen very carefully. Again, this goes back to it is the armor of God, not the armor of Keith, or the armor of whatever your name is. There are some who say that this verse, this piece of armor, is talking about our righteousness. That if we will try to live righteous lives, that, that, that will protect us from the enemy. You see, there's two types of righteousness. There's not a blank here, but you might want to write it down. There's, there's positional righteousness, positional righteousness, and there's personal or practical righteousness. Positional righteousness, we're going to look at in just a moment. Personal or practical righteousness is you trying to live a righteous life. Both are important. Both are helpful against the enemy. It is very helpful if you live a personal righteous life. If you're trying to be a righteous man or righteous woman, that's very helpful. That's very good. But I don't think that's what it's talking about. I don't think that the breastplate of righteousness is personal or practical righteousness. Because eventually that gives out. Eventually that gives way. And I don't see that your personal or practical righteousness is so much a piece of God's armor. How could that be a piece of God's armor? Right? This is the armor of God. So it's not talking about personal righteousness. It's talking primarily about positional righteousness. What's the difference? Well, let's look at some scripture. And I think you'll see. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He's talking about positional righteousness. He's talking about that in God's eyes. He makes us righteous because of what Christ did on the cross. And it's really referring to accepting God's gift of righteousness. Now, you're going to have to stay with me. Go to also Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Paul is talking about here the gift of righteousness. This is not something theoretical. This is not just some kind of a spiritual, theoretical kind of an idea. This is part of the armor of God. That we have been given by God. Righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is the awareness and the conviction that we are accepted in God's sight. Not because of our goodness, but because of God's goodness. That we have become righteous in God's sight, not because of who we are, but because of what Christ has done for us. But the breastplate of righteousness is the assurance that you have God's approval. You have God's approval. Do you, do you know how important that is? You have God's approval if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And God looks at you as though you are righteous. You see, when I, am, when I have trusted Christ as Savior, I will forever, watch this, listen to this, I will forever be accepted by God. Uh, let's just dig into Scripture a little bit. Go to Romans. Romans talks about this a lot. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God. You might want to underline that. From God. A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. According to this verse, class, how do you obtain that righteousness? What's the key word there? How do we get this righteousness that is from God? By faith. Faith. Faith in what? Here's the deal. You, you might want to write this down, though you probably already know this. But at the cross, when I trust Christ as Savior, I exchange my sinful condition for His righteousness. By faith, I accept and I exchange my sinful condition for His 
righteousness. And when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died for me, then that's when I exchange my sin for His righteousness. I don't know about you, but that's a good deal. That's a really good deal. Now, Paul talks about this throughout the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 21. Now, I'll tell you why, why this is important to your daily life in just a minute. Just read the Scriptures with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God. Again, it's a righteousness from God. Not a righteousness from Keith. Not a righteousness from whatever your name is. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law. That is, apart from your efforts. Has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God. In case you didn't get it last time. He wants to tell you again. It's from God. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. All have sinned to fall short of the glory of God, but yet he offers all of us a righteousness from God. Can somebody say amen? Chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, that is by living a good life and doing good things, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham, here's what the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Abraham believed God and he exchanged his sin for God's righteousness. One more scripture. Uh, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who, knew no, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him... We read this a moment ago. I just want you to sit again. So that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, folks, if you do not put on the breastplate of righteousness, here's what's going to happen. Without the breastplate of righteousness, Satan will attack your heart. The breastplate of righteousness is to protect your heart. And he will make you feel unworthy in God's presence. He'll make you feel unworthy of God. Unworthy to serve. He'll say things like this. Who are you to think that God would answer your prayers? Who, who are you to think that you could do something like that? Who are you to think? And he's just going to remind you of your past. He's going to remind you of your sins. He's going to remind you of your, of your failures. And you need to take the breastplate of righteousness and say, well, let me remind you of something. It's not because of how righteous I am, but by faith I received the righteousness of God. And because I received the righteousness of God, I have God's approval. Close book. I have God's approval. I will not lose God's approval. I will not, uh, God will not abandon me. I have God's approval. And that protects my heart to know that I have God's approval. The breastplate of righteousness. Again, it's not how righteous you can live, though that's important and that's good. But it's the awareness, the assurance 
of God's approval in your life. Any questions so far? Any questions? Or comments? All right, now he talks about shoes. How many pairs of shoes are in your closet? Come on, man, this is your chance, right? No, you've you got to go home tonight. You better not. How many pairs of shoes are in your closet? It doesn't really matter, but when we, think, when we think about shoes, shoes are an important part of our everyday life. For some, shoes are a necessary accessory, right? I'm not going to go there. I started to really get in trouble. Let me just go on. For the Roman soldier, for the Roman soldier, shoes were an important part of his equipment. His feet, the, the shoes that they had were, were a sandal-type shoe, but it had spikes in the bottom of it to give them firm footing. As they were fighting, especially when they had hand-to-hand combat, they needed to make sure that they had a firm stance. And so the, the sandal-like shoes that they wore had these spikes in them that went through them to help them to stand. I believe under the Spirit of God, Paul one day was looking at one of those Roman soldiers and looked at those shoes. And Christian soldier needs some shoes too, Paul thought. For the Christian soldier, his feet are shod with the preparation for the gospel of peace, as it says in one translation. Let's, let's read it, chapter 6, verse uh, 15. I need to get back in Ephesians. I'm, I need to get back there. Chapter 6, verse 15, here's what he says. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Part of the armor is a readiness to share the gospel. I I want you to think about this. Shoes are related to the gospel. Somebody read Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace, we have peace with God. We have. Now, connect that to Romans chapter 10, verse 15. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What's the good news? That we can have peace with God. We can have peace with God. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring this peace of God to somebody else. Now, talk to me. Help me teach this part of the lesson. How is this a piece of armor? How is the gospel helping you fight against Satan? How would that be an armor of God to help you resist the enemy? I mean, we can kind of understand truth and righteousness, but but how does the gospel play into that armor? Say it again. Hope. I like that.
He used, say that again. Right? But we're talking about, and we're going to come to the sword of the Spirit in a moment. But we're talking about sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. How is that a piece, how is that a, a, an, an armor that helps you fight Satan? What did you say? Be grounded in your faith. Strength in numbers. Jesus is the word, absolutely. What's the one thing Satan doesn't want us to do? He spread the word. He doesn't want us to share Jesus. It's the one thing he really doesn't want us to He doesn't want us to share the gospel. And so one of the ways that we can fight against him is to share the gospel with others. So, uh, Warren Wiersbe, I, this is not original with me, Warren Wiersbe, a scholar, said, the most victorious Christian is a witnessing Christian. Sharing the gospel is a spiritual battle. Put this on your notes, there's a blank there. God says go, Satan says no. It's a spiritual battle. God says go talk to him, Satan says no, don't you dare. And the way that this becomes a piece of armor is when you decide to go and when you decide to say yes and when you decide to open your mouth. Sharing the gospel is part of the armor because we are now sharing good news. We're sharing the peace of God. And the more we do that, the stronger we get. Now that, that's a good statement right there. The more we do that, the stronger we get. Then he talks about a shield. For the Roman soldier, the shield was a large rectangular shield, perhaps four feet by two feet. It was made out of wood and, and covered in tough leather. That was the shield that they held. When the enemy would shoot arrows at them, they often would dip the arrows in tar, set the arrow on fire, and then, and then shoot it towards, towards them. And so they had this shield that they would use and they could duck down behind it when the arrows were being shot. That's why it was so big, four foot by two foot. They could kind of duck down behind it and these flaming arrows would hit this wooden leather-covered shield and it would protect them. Ladies and gentlemen, we all need a shield of faith to protect us. We all do. Because I'm going to tell you something. The flaming arrows are coming. Flaming arrows come at you at different times. We all need the shield of faith for protection. Write this. Let me give you something to write down. There's no blanks here, but let me give you a definition to write down about what faith is. I don't think there's a blank here. Faith is a decision to put your life in God's hands. Is that a blank? Is that a fill in the blank? Okay. Faith is a decision to put your life in God's hands and leave it there regardless. The decision to put your life in God's hands and leave it there regardless. That kind of ultimate trust is a shield that protects you against the enemy. See, Satan attacks you with lies. We've already talked about that. And one of the ways that you shield yourself against 
Satan's lies besides the belt of truth is to simply believe what God says regardless. I'm going to have faith in what God says. And Satan, I know what you're trying to do, and I I know how you're trying to, to make me fearful, but I'm going to have faith in what God says Regardless, regardless of how I feel, regardless of, of what my circumstances are, regardless of, of what the outcome looks like, I'm just going to believe God. Let me tell you something. He has a hard time working against you when you will say, I'm just going to believe God. Now, the circumstances don't look very good. I'm pretty fearful and anxious about some things. But I've just decided the best course of action, the only way that I can stand up against the enemy is not with the armor of Keith, it's the armor of God. So I'm just going to believe God this time. That's the shield of faith. My life is in God's hands and I'm going to trust Him because of that. Then he talks about the helmet. It's called the helmet of what? The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Of course, the helmet was used by the Roman soldier to protect their head in battle. Paul relates that to our spiritual battles, and the helmet of salvation is used to protect our minds. Because one of the primary targets that Satan has in your life is your mind. So you need the helmet of salvation to protect your mind so that you will not be thinking the wrong things. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Chapter, that just doesn't look right. I'm sorry, folks, I think I've gotten it wrong again. Maybe it was 2 Corinthians. Let me check that one. Yes, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. (laughs) That's a pretty good verse for every pastor, isn't it? I need to put that on a plaque somewhere. Keith's motto, just put that in your Bible right there. Verse 2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, and I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Paul is speaking as a pastor here. He says, I recognize that you guys are special and, and it's my responsibility to pastor and shepherd you. And then he says in verse 3, but I am afraid. What's he afraid of? I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, that's what he targets. He targets your mind. He says, I'm afraid that you're going to be led astray from that simple, pure devotion to Jesus Christ. 
the helmet of salvation is this. The helmet of salvation is where you recognize that you are God's children and you are committed to Jesus Christ. That there was a day, there was a time, there was a place when you were saved, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. You promise to live for Him. The helmet of salvation is where you say, I know that I know that I know that I am His and He is mine. Because there was a day I trusted Christ as my Savior. And don't ever let Satan pull you away from that simple, pure devotion to Jesus Christ. That pure, simple devotion of being a follower of Jesus Christ on the, like you were the day you got saved. Then we go to the sixth piece of armor. This is the one that we're probably all familiar with. He talks about a sword. Every Roman soldier had a sword. Paul said every Christian needs a sword too. He says it's the sword of what? Say it again. Sword of the Spirit. Verse 17. We don't have to guess what the sword of the Spirit means, do we? Verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Charles Stanley said the Bible is the anchor of our faith and it is the source of our authority. The anchor of our faith and the source of our authority. We need to make sure that we use the Word of God against the enemy of God. There's not a fill in the blank there. That's a good statement. We need to make sure we use the Word of God against the enemy of God because that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what Donna was referring to. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus went through his wilderness time, his wilderness temptation prior to his ministry, he used the Word of God against the enemy of God. That's, that's one of your greatest weapons, to use the Word of God against the enemy of God. But, let me tell you something. From all indications, if you read Matthew chapter 4, uh, from all indications, when you study that text, there was not one time where Jesus said, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get my Bible and see if I can find that verse. Uh, maybe I'll call the preacher. Where's my phone? Let me call the preacher and see where that verse is. No. But in every situation, three different times, Jesus quoted Scripture. And each time, by the way, he was quoting from Deuteronomy. Each time he quoted Deuteronomy. And he used the Word of God against the enemy of God because he had implanted the Word of God in his heart. The armor of God becomes more and more effective when we become more and more desperate. What do you mean by more and more desperate? When we come to the realization that we need this. We come to the realization that, man, we're fighting a losing battle without this. Aren't we? We really are. We're fighting a losing battle without this. Otherwise, He never would even make it available. You know why He's made it available? Because you've got no chance without it. You've got no hope without it.
So, let's close with this. Tomorrow morning, can I give you a homework assignment? I'm a professor now. I like to give homework. (laughs) Tomorrow morning, can I give you a homework assignment? Here's what it is. Tomorrow morning, sometime, you might have to set your alarm a little bit earlier. Tomorrow morning, sometime, set aside some time for you and God. Set aside some time. Make time for you and God. And do what it says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Set aside some time tomorrow for you and God so that you can be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And without that, without this, you're simply a target. With this, you can stand strong against the enemy. Let's pray over that. God, thank you that though the enemy is greater than us, he is not greater than you. Thank you for the armor that you provide. And I pray that you will remind me, remind each of us tomorrow to make time so that we can be with you and put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes this week, we'll be ready to stand. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.